setting up shop. Well, hello everyone, and welcome back to Setting Up Shop, the Maker Journey podcast. Um, my name's Dan. I'm a woodturner from the UK, and co-hosting with me are Heidi, a potter from America, and Rasmus, a blacksmith from Norway. I uh, hope everyone's doing well. I hope everyone's listened to previous episodes and been able to work on their assignments and enjoyed them. I'm sure some of you will have spoken to you by now and given extra hints and tips to. Uh, this week, we are going to talk about... Oh, what was the exact subject title again, Raz, before I look this up? How to market your shop. There we go. How to market your shop. So we're going we're gonna to run through a few things there. The overarching thing on this which is a really good one for everyone to remember i'm sure some of you learned this in school or various other places but it's a series of questions who what when where and how who what when where and how and we're going to sort of apply this to this particular topic but it's a really useful little tool when you're considering starting a business in this case or you're considering leadership if you ever employ someone or even just uh, you're organising a social gathering. Really good set of questions to uh, make sure you haven't forgotten anything or any particular angles when going, well, just applying to anything else, really. So, for for instance, we're going to start with who, and we're going to ask that question of, you know, who are you selling to? We've all got our own little anecdotes on this. We've all got different angles. Heidi, we'll start with you, if that's okay. Sure. So who do you sell to and uh, how did you work out what your demographic was? Well, um, with ceramics, it's, it's got a pretty broad uh, approach for people. Um, you've got people that are beer drinkers. You've got people that are coffee drinkers. You've got the old ladies that like to collect things that have some fun little embellishment on the side. You've got, um, you, you've just got a lot of different opportunities, right? And the one thing that I really honed in on was specifically because previously I talked about working with that local gift shop was that everything was kind of geared towards Pittsburgh. So like people would come to Pittsburgh, they would want something with a bridge on it, or they would want something with PGH on it, which is like our call sign or whatever. Um, and then from there, I moved into making the Sasquatch pieces, which was more, you know, directed towards other people in the area that I live in. And then I made some nerd pieces. So things that kind of reflected on, uh, you know, Zelda and video games and game systems and that kind of stuff. So and, and Star Wars and Star Wars. Yeah. So <laughs> it was like really I had a broad reach and it was a, it was a lot of fun to kind of come up with different things for different demographics. So I don't just have one audience. I'm long, long story short. I don't just have one audience. <laughs> um, but when people come to me and they say like, hey, do you make things for dog people? I'm like, <laughs> I can, sure. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, it's basically like whoever approaches me and asks me um, to make things. And then I usually build some kind of model from that. And that's a really important point, isn't it? So you, your, what it is you currently make is basically your portfolio. And it will attract people, hopefully, to you. And once it's done that, you want to be broad enough in your in what it is you present so that people will ask the question, hey, do you make, have you ever done, you know, have you considered doing this for this kind of thing? Or, oh, I've got this piece at home. Would you be able to do a, you know, in my case, sometimes they ask to do a repair or a, um, something else. And so you can end up with some quite good commissions or some bad commissions if you haven't learned how to uh, price properly 
yourself yet and your time, which is something we'll talk about in future. But yeah, I mean, that's that's a really good point, Heidi. So I hadn't realised that the way you present it was so broad. Obviously, the, the scope is always broad when it comes to ceramics, but I hadn't realised that you, you kept it quite so broad rather than focused any any particular area. What about yourself then, Raz? How, who, who is it you predominantly sell to and did you uh, specifically focus towards that or was it just uh, organic in the way that came about? It's a little bit of both. Um, I think I mentioned on the last episode how I... St- it's very easy for blacksmithing to be very focused on like bushy, burly, manly men because it's a very rough thing. And sorry, did you mean of... to go rough right then, or was it just uh, was that a bit of Norwegian creeping in there? <laughs> no, rough <laughs> was what I meant to say. Yeah. Uh, and it's it's I made a conscious effort to try to uh, grasp a little bit broader than that and make the roses and heart hooks and things that had it was still rough in the aesthetics, but they had a bit more of a feminine appeal to them. Hmm. So I did go in that direction consciously, but also I didn't make any effort into sort of making sure I was selling things to uh, in a really masculine audience because that is so natural for blacksmiths to do just because of the aesthetics of something that is rough forged and still has this bit of scaling on them or hammer texture and that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, I mean, I'm not going to um, answer the question with, from my own perspective, because I feel like we did cover quite a lot of this conversation in previous episode, as it were. And I don't necessarily want to go over um, background <laughs> again just yet. Uh, we'll save that maybe for season two or three, if we ever get to the point of needing something to pad out other things. But I'm sure we'll talk about it again. But it's, it's definitely a good point to consider age range and you know colors and things like that and also in particular like we're talking about marketing right we're talking about marketing your shop so there's quite a few adverts around at the moment about killing off paper business card or at least they're flagging up on my social media anyway i don't know about you guys um saying oh you know the paper business card is dead all you need is this this one digital card and it's like an nft and this kind of stuff uh it's not an nft i can't remember what the exact terminology is i'm old (laughs) QR code. Yeah, it's one of the radio frequencies that you scan. Yeah, yeah, um, it's it's yeah. it's got a thing in it which will if if you tap it onto someone's phone and they've got the right settings enabled, it will take them immediately to all three of your your different social medias. I saw a sticker the other day. I thought that was really cool. You can buy a sticker where you can preload it with a link to like um, your Instagram or whatever. Oh. So you could literally just and it's super thin as well. So you could just put that on an item on your stand somewhere on a poster or whatever and people can scan that and it will take that and i think there were like 12 quid on offer or something like that so that's really cool but they would only preload either instagram or one other social media or a web link so you're then looking at it and you're going well then you're going to have to put your link tree web link in and then that's going to take you know so you're you're adding actually adding steps back in that's not a terribly complicated system though and, it's not. I mean, if you are a bit tech savvy, you should be able to reprogram that. Yes. But that's not for everyone. I understand that. And that's the thing is that, so on my market stall, when I have that out, I, I have the paper business card and on the paper business card, it's got my name, it's got a contact email address and it's got the website. I haven't got a phone number on there because at the time of printing the large amount of business cards that I printed, I didn't have a business phone number and I didn't want to give out my personal one. 
uh, that's always a problem when you buy in bulk to save money. It's you know particularly that early on. So I've got the I've got the paper business card, and I've got a little poster with a QR code on it that takes people to my link tree, so that they can choose whatever they want to on there, whether it's sign up to newsletter or whatever. And I will soon, hopefully, also have just like visuals of me making stuff to prove the point that it is actually me making things. But all of those things in there, they're, they're not just like generational because I've seen some of the older people you would expect to take a business card have been tapping their phone against the QR code. And I've seen the younger people I would expect to use the QR code taking a business card. Yeah. I think the point is, unless what you are selling is very much aimed at a specific generation and a specific type of user, you should cover everything. Yeah. Like have the paper, have the digital, have everything on there because you want to show that you're all inclusive and that you're you're kind of, you know, you, you want to gather as many customers or potential customers from wherever you can. And also just depending on basically the mood of the person coming up to you that day, they might be more prone to using their phone and get their information or your socials on there, or they might have left their home with significant others, sandbag or something, and they were like, oh yeah, thank you, I'll take the card, and then I'll fiddle with the other stuff when we sit down for lunch yeah. or whatever. Or the really obvious one, if you've got no signal where you are. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not just specific to Norway. There's uh, there's plenty of uh, being in the rural part, rural part of England. There's plenty of times when you're struggling for signal to get the card reader to work let alone getting people to yeah. follow you on social media cool so that's that's the kind of the who that's a very brief overview moving on to what so what are you selling in with regards to marketing your your shop and what's coming up you know are you selling an experience are you selling uh, so for all of us all of us have taught all of us can teach our individual craft are you going to specifically sell, hey, come and have a lesson or a, an experience period of time or day or whatever it is with us? Because that is a very different kind of marketing from selling your physical product. You can take up the same amount of space. But for instance, if I was going to a market and all I wanted to sell was come and learn to wood turn with Dan, I would take a lathe. I would literally set up with the intent to be I've got a banner behind me with with who Bevel is and pictures of me turning and um, possibly, you know, have a load of flyers with available dates, with a price scheme, with recommendations and star ratings from people and all that kind of stuff on it. That's very different from I'm selling a physical product, so therefore I need tables or shelves or whatever with, with my stuff on. And so that it's well worth considering how am I marketing what it is I'm selling, whether it is an experience or a physical or even a digital product? You know, if you're selling a digital product, the chances of you getting many sales of that standing in a market stall in the middle of a town doing their monthly market, which is a bit farmerish, are quite low. Unless it's a really, really useful app that people really should know about and it's specific to the local community. But I mean, Raz, have you, you had any specific experience with that or anything that you, you think we should uh, consider when it comes to thinking about what it is you're selling? And Yeah. In essence, you are selling yourself more than anything, no matter where you show up. And to that effect, I've been to a, quite a bit of markets where I know I've gotten sales for commission work and for people coming to classes specifically from that market even though I lost money going to that specific market. So 
the, the return of investment, so to speak, ongoing to market might not even show up at that market. It might not even show up during the, the six months after that market. It might take three years that I've noticed. I went to a market like in different parts of Norway and two and a half years later, they reached me and go like, hey, are you able to do this thing? And I'm like, yeah, absolutely. And I vaguely remember because there was a unique person, unique personality. <laughs> that's hard to forget. Hmm. So that, that's something to mention there, I think. Do you think that goes back to the physical business card though? And without wanting to sound like a stickler for tradition, but if you've been to a market and you've, you've picked that card up and remembered that person and then you've like tucked it, whether it's on a mirror or on a fridge magnet or somewhere in your house, yeah, you've left it with the intent being in the future, I want that person's reference so that I'm going to get round to this job being done and I might want them to make me something for it. Whereas if you've done it digitally, yeah, you, it, you're not seeing it. You're not kind of... Do you see what I mean? I mean... Yes, I, I believe that has happened a couple of times. Hmm. I can't say that for sure. But, I mean, uh, handing out a business card is a physical reminder of the fact that you exist, that you hope that they will find when they need it later on. Hmm. It is very seldom that people want your business card and they will call you the next day. Yeah. If that's the case, they need you so much that they probably want to get your phone in the, your phone number in their phone right then and there. Yeah. But the fact of, like you say, they stick it on the fridge because like they have this cabin they need a thing for, they're just saving up money for. Yeah. And they leave that on the fridge so you don't forget that you exist. I'm sure that happens. I also am fairly certain that people have gone like, oh, I, here's the thing. I, or a friend of them has talking about the problem and they suddenly go, oh, wait. And they go rummaging and find the business card and hand it over yeah. to someone else. That's happened for me a couple of times that my business card is being passed on to other people that I haven't met. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, and that's always good fun when that happens as well. When they start speaking to you as if you should know yeah. who they are and they've never met you. <laughs> yeah. But it's just another avenue of marketing. Hmm. And it's a one that you have zero control over and it's very hard to verify is working. But it is one of those things that when you stop doing it, you start to slowly notice that everything is sort of dropping off a little bit. Yeah. And then you can start doing it again and everything thing keeps going up a little bit again. Yeah. And I noticed that also with teaching the classes. I get more people signing up for my classes after I had physical flyers at my stand specifically for the classes. That's interesting. So that's also a thing. Like if you're selling an experience, having something to, to market that experience specifically is probably way better than just having some kind of YouTube video going in the background yeah. or a banner or something. But again, give them something they can take with them home. I think, yes, circling back to that that whole thing, if we talk about it, if we take the example of an experience, I've never been to a market with the intent of just selling come and do wood turning with Dan because I, I teach that in the day job already and I've, I've not got the multiple lathes or whatever. Um, one day it will happen, but not right now. Eventually. <laughs> yeah, it's on the plan. And one of the ways that I would do it, absolutely have the flyer to hand out absolutely chat to the people while I'm there but one of the things I've learned more than anything else whether it's people coming and talking to you about the possibility of a commission or something like that is have a notebook and pen and ask them for their name and a contact either phone number or email address whichever they feel happy to do or preferably both and I think I'm have the exact opposite approach but you finish first and you write it down and ask them are you happy for me to contact you next week? Mm. 
if they say no, that's absolutely fine. You can you can redefine the time scale. More often than not, if they say no, they'll say that will be because oh I'm away next week, or you know they won't want to give you their details at all. But I've found you're much more likely to get follow up if you've written it down and then you contact them than you are if you give your details across and they say oh yeah I'll chat to you soon, and which certainly in the UK can just be English people being polite. Whereas if you've if you've made that extra step in that connection, it's rare for people to hand out the level of personal detail unless they do want to follow up. So you can gauge very quickly how much effort to put into that potential commission or experience or whatever it is that's coming along. So I have consciously decided not to do that. Okay. One is just it's so easy to forget details or forget to actually write things down and then tell say that you will call them up or forget to put it in the calendar to phone them up the next week and all of that. Yeah. And also, I've been lucky enough that I have had so much to do that it's more work for me to try to hunt down the jobs than it's worth at the moment. Yes. Now, that being said, like sometimes I talk to friends, they say, oh, I want this thing. Cool. I'll check back with you next time we talk, so to speak, and go like, is that still a thing? I have time now soon. That kind of stuff. But also, like, I... I I never want to do a job next week. I always want a job that I can do in three months because that means I can spend the time talking to the client and figure out all the details, get the drawings approved, audit the materials, and be ready to work when my, my schedule opens up. Yeah. But it's also, I want a customer to email me when they have decided on what they want. Very often, I have people coming up to me and saying, hey, we want a thing. <laughs> good. Very good for you. Tell me when you know what that thing is and I'll help you out. And like, I want people to give me measurements. I want people to give me pictures or reference images or even better, a drawing I can work from or extrapolate from. That's a lot to ask for a from a customer. Yeah. So this is really interesting. This, this is where the difference is probably between yourself, Raz, and possibly you as well, Heidi, in that partly due to workload, um, but also partly people will come up to you and be inspired by what you're selling and go, hey, I want something, but they're not sure what it is yet. Yeah. Whereas I tend to get the other side of it, which is, oh, do you... Uh, so specific example, lady came up, saw the stuff I make and was like, oh, do you make bases for cheese boards that have a glass dome over the top? I was like, well, I can do. I said, what size is the glass dome? She said, well... Are you going to be here all day? I said, yeah. She said, right, give me 20 minutes. She went back up the street. I saw her go into a house, come back within 20 minutes, and she came out with this glass dome. And I was like, right. I said, what happened to the wooden base? She said, oh, my Labrador ate the wooden base because it still had some cheese on it. <laughs> I was like, okay, fair enough. Um, Bad dog. Yeah, absolutely. So I said... Um, Okay, so if you've got a preference on on color, have you got a preference, you know, size? What what are we looking at? And and she was able to very quickly go, hey, look, here's the dome. I want it slightly bigger than that. I want it X thickness or whatever, and this sort of color wood here that you've got in front of me. So it was beach and whatever else. Hmm. Stupidly, I didn't take the dome home with me because I was worried about breaking it on the way home. Yeah. So I turned to one, came back. What a surprise! It didn't quite fit. So I then had to take the dome home anyway and just return it very slightly and, and it fitted and she was absolutely happy with it and off she went and I, I sold it to her. So mine mine are a bit more kind of the backwards way. It's mine tend to be a replacement for a thing. Another little job I've done earlier today is for on the top of an armrest, 
there were the, this this guy had two armrests on his favorite chair again an animal attacked the favorite chair leg um <laughs> and that meant that the the front half of one of the little like knobs on the top that you curl your hands around had, had snapped off and so a guy's gone to repair the chair and then he's come to me and said hey can you turn another one of these now that's automatically you've got specific shapes to take into mind but they're also going to be at least the width of a person apart so they don't have to be exactly the same you can kind of the human eye will will fill in the the gaps if need be so i i tend to have that that different thing which is why writing it down in the book and all that kind of stuff if they're not physically bringing it to me is really handy because i can then more often than not i need to go around and see the thing they want to make a replica of or all that kind of stuff so that's quite that's definitely quite interesting to consider it from from both sides but certainly if you're not fortunate enough to already have quite a large workload this can be a good way of establishing contacts which might then lead to to further business other than what you just initially make if i may just fill into that as well i have uh, a knife making friend of mine really good fellow who makes lots of chef's knives that's been coming with me to a couple of markets and he does exactly this thing but he also has a flip book of styles and he has he always has this box of handles with him. So he is doing all of his sales on the market. He just go home and make it first and then sends it to the guy. Nice. So he has the routine for that specifically. Mm. But it's also one of the things where like I standing next to him and go like, oh, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's, I think that's the difference though, is that talking about what it is you're selling, he's narrowed his focus down, hasn't he? He, he makes chef yes. knives. So he he does yeah. maybe five handle styles and and five blade styles and it's mix and match, mm. and that's it. You know, other than maybe the, the choice of wood or something like that. So he's able to do that, whereas all three of us have way too many different options for us to have that as a flip book and then combination and yeah, it's not going to work. Yeah. Okay. If we move on to the when question, then when when are you selling your thing? So again, we're talking about marketing your shop, and when are you selling it? Um, Raz, you mentioned earlier. Um, but I will pass this over to Heidi to to talk about seasonal. Seasonal makes a huge difference to the way you present what your your stock and the way you do your shop. And I know Heidi from past um, Instagram posts of yours as well, particularly autumn, heading in towards kind of the Halloween season for you. That makes a huge difference. If you don't mind just covering a few of the ways that you might seasonally change the way a market store would look for you. Sure. Um so just to back up a little bit, like my primary product are mugs. It's like the t-shirt of ceramic world, right? Like everybody <laughs> could use a mug. Everybody feels good about gifting a mug to somebody because everybody drinks stuff, right? So the primary thing at my booth are mugs. The secondary part of my product development is usually thematic. So when we talk about like going into a season, uh, I'm thinking about like what type of beverage are we drinking in that specific season? What what size of uh, like how many ounces are people drinking of that beverage? So that's kind of getting me in mind of like the size of the cup that is probably going to sell the best during that season. And then on top of it, if there's a holiday within that season. So if you're talking about like the springtime, there's not too many holidays that like are really impactful there. Maybe pre-spring, like late winter is, is Valentine's Day for us. So I will do things with hearts on them and, you know, like little kitchen kind of things like that. And then going into summer, it's mostly like more Sasquatch, more camp themes, more um, beer themes. And then getting into the into the fall, we see a lot of people wanting Halloween 
mugs. Now, I, I don't know about your specific regions, but in America, Halloween is like almost up there with Christmas, right? It's just about as important to the American populace as Christmas is, which is super funny to me because it wasn't that like it was popular when I was a kid, but it wasn't like this big economic time for people to be <laughs> buying things that were thematically Halloween. Um, but I would say like the last 15, 20 years, it's really become a booming time. So a lot of people buy, like I make skull mugs. I make pieces that have like laser engraved rolling pin decorations, like, you know, pumpkin patch and witches and that kind of thing. And then I also do what's called ceramic decals. So it's not like a gold decal or a silver decal. It's um, screen printed underglaze that you put on before you fire the piece. And so it'll like a lot of them that I do have labels on them that have like um, witch's brew or bat's blood or, you know, like we, like just super silly Halloween themed things that honestly, if they don't sell at Halloween, which they normally do, they sell all year round. So I could <laughs> I could be making them all year round and people are like, yeah, I want Eye of Newt. That sounds great. <laughs> and then into Christmas, obviously, you know, the holiday decor. Christmas trees, things with stars on them, things with snowflakes, snowmen, those kind of things. And that that usually is right after Halloween is when I'll start updating my market to include that. I'll have like uh, discounts. So if it's right after the end of a holiday, I might feel generous and do some kind of discount code for, you know, whatever I have left over. But normally because pottery doesn't go bad mm. and I'm typically reproducing the same products later on, I'll just box those up in inventory in my garage and save them for next year. But those are like some of the considerations for when I'm selling something. Do you do anything to dress the stand differently other than the, what what the product is? Do you know, do you or do you keep kind of a fairly neutral shelf color and that kind of stuff? Do you I mean, certainly here in, when it's wintertime here, obviously the, the like if a market finishes at 4 p.m., it can already be getting a bit dark. So we'll put like fairy lights up around and that kind of stuff so it can give more of a. You know, it partly it lights and draws people towards you and stuff, and it kind of hits a certain vibe as well. But obviously, during the summer, that's that's not the case. You know, you, you kind of yeah, we usually wrap around four o'clock, and yeah. it doesn't get dark till ten here. Okay, I don't do a whole lot of outdoor markets right. when it gets cold, uh, especially <laughs> in Pennsylvania. It gets pretty cold. Yeah, so you're looking at like my last event might be in October. And typically, I don't spend a lot of extra time and money to decorate my booth okay. more than what I already do. I use a black tablecloth. It's all year round. You know, that you can't go wrong with black. Ben made me my wooden shelves. Mm -hmm. So and, and we talked before, I think. Uh, about making sure everything's elevated. Yeah. No, nothing stays flat on the table. I have mm. wooden shelves for everything. I might put some like autumn-y or like harvesty kind of decorations up on the tent walls. Mm. I have like twinkle lights and LED lights that I use all year round. Is My biggest goal is not necessarily to like, I don't know, play that game as much as it is just like making the product stand out more than my booth yeah. does, right? So if I've got Halloween yeah, yeah, yeah. stuff, I think that's enough to to promote that that's yeah. a holiday that, that it's approaching. But. Yeah, no, that's fine. I'm picking ideas for myself at the same time as we always do on, on these episodes anyway. I mean, I think one of the few things that we've done that consistently makes a massive difference is pot plants. 
like yeah. you're inviting people in certainly with mine stuff because it's homeware it's like hey look you know this would look good in your house you have no idea what anyone's decor is in their house at all the way they've decorated whatsoever but pretty much everyone enjoys some form of living thing in their house and since i'm not going to have caged pets around to like try and make it look like a home <laughs> then uh, pot plants are a lot easier to manage and it look a lot less like you're going to get arrested for having them put up around your, uh, your all of your stuff so rasmus what about you then so do you do you vary not necessarily so much the product but I know, for instance, we've spoken in the past, I think, about, in fact, it was last episode or episode before, when you've gone to, like, more garden-based stuff, you've, the product's changed. Mm. But seasonally, have you done anything to the actual, the marketing of the stand, as it were, to be any different? No. Okay. <laughs> Not much. I mean, you, you said the biggest thing. When I go to the garden market, I tend to make a lot more, st- or, like, more stuff that goes with that that I don't make for the rest of the year. I would like to maybe invest in like a proper medieval booth, having that Viking Saxon style tent for the few people out there who know what I mean, <laughs> and like set up my shop in that and have it look a like period piece or period mm. appropriate. But I haven't done that yet. Yeah. So far, my booth is kind of the same all year round now. I did build like a, a booth that I'm bringing to markets now that I did this winter. And I'm still sort of trying out and getting to know, which fits a lot better than sort of a camping table with a cloth all over it. It's yeah, it's wood that I burned. <laughs> that is my booth now. Okay, let's make that a little bit more specific. So <laughs> okay, he, yes. he's made plywood cubes, which he has then scorched and then oiled with linseed oil, yeah. which looks a lot more attractive than just he's burnt some wood and then he puts metal on top of <laughs> Thank it. You. Yes. Just to give a bit of a better description <laughs> of the kind of thing he's actually yeah. talking about. He's like, show Shuji Ban. Kind of, yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's it's well the steel frames that poking through the the plywood sides and all of it. So it's yeah. it is appropriately rustic. It's a lot more work to put together. It's a very good aesthetic, yeah. yeah. But I fa- realized that even though I have scorched the wood and darkened it, and then treated with linseed oil, that happens to be still a very good surface to show off the black forged metal on. Yeah, which I had to try out before I sort of went for it and realized this actually works. There might be other things that works a lot, but the problem with a lot of stuff I make is that they might not be perfectly clean when I bring them to market. (laughs) Not only because my hands are perpetually dirty, so handling them is not helping, but also from just sitting in the forge or I'm treating them with a rather black wax finish. Yeah. If I'm not super careful about polishing or rubbing that off, that will stain for a little while afterwards. So if I had like a white cloth, I would need to wash that like in between every single day or something. Yeah, that's the reason why I stopped using actual oil on my products because it can leach out over time. And so I I originally had lovely white tablecloth and had these plates and all this kind of stuff on it. And then I was picking them up to show people and they were leaving an oil patch behind as I was picking them up. I was like, oh, right, that's not really good. So that's where I I changed the way that I I finished some of my products so that it didn't do that anymore. But yeah, it's very, very worthwhile remembering that no matter what the season is or or whatever, people need to be able to pick up and handle your product if it's a physical product and not 
get something sticky or unknown on their hands. <laughs> or even better, have it be black metal laying out in a very hot summer day. Or a very cold yeah. day, as is more often the um, case in Yeah, Norway. but that's why people are more surprised when it's hot. <laughs> how are you how are you marking your prices on on your pieces? Just out of curiosity. I um because I have mugs, I can just tie yeah. my little printed you know, logo with the price on the back, but like you guys are selling more flat pieces that maybe don't have something that you could easily attach a price tag to. Yeah. So for mine, I've got a lot of the the plates and trays and stuff are in like vertical racks that have got little pegs. And then I've, I've hung the price around the peg, but it's, it's not ideal. Or okay. I do have like the traditional little, um, almost like name tag type things. There were like a little V shape that sits up like you'd see at a wedding of where someone's place setting. That's the word I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. but they blow away so yeah it, it's still something it's one of the many things to do with my my stands that i haven't ironed out and made a really good solution for yet if i had a more consistent stock profile then probably the most ideal thing for me would be laser etching the the name of it and the price onto a, a little place tag made out of something like wood or actually even better contrasting it with a little bit of steel yeah. so that you've got the color contrast and having those on the items as it were but yeah mm. or like a price menu yeah yeah i've tr- funny enough i've tried a menu and people get distracted by it and they stop looking at the products they just they start looking at the list oh right because they're they're staring up yeah. yeah, yeah, they're always staring up or if it's like a little A5 thing on the stand, they, they get really distracted by that and not actually look at the products. Hmm. I see. But yeah, w- what about you, Raz? I mean, I imagine you can you can tie labels around knives and things, but what about your other stuff? I try to tie labels to pretty much everything. And I've gotten in some cardstock small anvils laser cut. I just imagined you tack welding little like <laughs> label cards <laughs> just, just like on the corner of things. Yeah. Just like I'm just gonna I'm just gonna like hammer it into a piece of metal and just tack weld that on the side there. I, I did contemplate something like that at some point to have like um actually like like you said like these placement uh name place cards uh mm. whatever you call it and have like stamped numbers and letters and all of that into them. But what I, what I opted for when I have like like nails or like small key fobs and things like that, I just have them in forged dishes and I have like a leather tag in front of it with the price on it. Mm. Just close okay. enough to associate yeah. with the thing and that's never been an issue. I really like having yeah. the custom anvil shaped yeah. price tags that I tie on, which I find is really, really cool myself. But I've also been wanting to try out a few different things. And there's also like, I, I have like loads of bottle openers in various sizes and shapes that generally speaking I sell for nearly the same price. So I would like to be able at some point to have like, if not buckets, but bins or something, just like here's this bottle opener hmm. and have like a proper like price tag on the whole uh, bin of them and just stack them up next to each other and things like that. But that's in, in, in the yeah. everlasting battle of things I should be doing and things I don't have time for. Uh, it's <laughs> in that bucket. Yeah, yeah. Well, that yeah. makes sense. I think the the biggest thing that I've found is that I like people handling the mugs. Mm. Like I, I want them to pick them up. I So I want my price tag on the mug so that, yeah. you know, they have to pick it up and then they look and see what the price is and, you know, get to get a feel for it. Because to me, when it comes to functional wear that, you know, maybe is going to be your everyday vessel that you're going to drink out of, you're going to, you're going to want to feel it. And 
uh, we had talked before about like how do you encourage people to like not be afraid to walk in your booth and touch your things like that was one thing that remedied it pretty quickly is not having like just a price card beside the row of mugs but like having mm. each individual mug priced out now that that takes me extra time yeah. right because i have to sit there and i have to tie every one of those on um i do a little um i don't write directly on the card in case i need to change my prices out I put a little <laughs> sticky on it because like sometimes I do have yeah. stock that I'm like willing to price down a little bit because, you know, maybe it's the end of season or something didn't sell well. Okay. So you, you just tie a, in effect, a card on it with maybe your logo on one side and then you just sticky gun the price on the other. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That's quite nice. I, I definitely agree with you though. That's definitely something that I've, I struggle with at the moment is you want people to pick something up and look at it, but you also want them to be able to see the price so they, they're not the brain's not stepping away from the decision that you're hoping they're going to make. Mm -hmm. But when you, you know, it's when you're talking about a round plate or a round bowl, I mean, the only way I can think of actually having that price hanging from it is if you, you know, you're tying string around sort of across yeah. it, across the opening almost and having something hanging from it. And Oh, mm. maybe like a um, ribbon, like packaging ribbon or something. Yeah, that kind of thing. Or, or like, um, you know, a, a bit of... Um, yeah, yeah hessian string or something like that you know little that kind of thing which again it's not a problem that if it takes time it's just doing in such a way that it doesn't then just immediately slip off if it gets moved slightly off the diameter yeah, that is frustrating. the thing and then then you're in the realm of like well do i do it in a cross and then you're like hang on a minute i'm i'm gift right. wrapping but not an in each individual item yeah. and so yeah there's definitely but then it's the same for when i'm packaging stuff like if you sell a plate at a stand Every single item of packaging that you have to wrap it in, if you do it tissue paper or, or whatever it is, is square. So then trying to package it so it looks pretty and put it in a bag is really tricky. Do pretty. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even do pretty. I've got friends of mine that sell candles, right? And I watched how they, they package them. They're so like, it's almost like they're working at a, a, a meat market where they're like wrapping yeah. the meat up yeah. super pretty. And I'm like, all I do, yeah. I'm just like, wrap that, wrap that stuff so it doesn't break. You know, like I don't, I yeah. don't care about the presentation at that point. You already <laughs> bought it, um, but they're like yeah. very particular. Yeah. Like they wrap it so perfect, and then they put a little sticker on, and then they put it in this nice yeah. printed bag. Like my bags don't have my logos on it, yeah. and that's probably something I should probably work on. But like. I'm just like yeah. shoving stuff in there, <laughs> shoving stuff in the handle, wrapping it up a couple of times. If they didn't buy two pieces, I don't even wrap it. I just put it in the bag. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to waste it. <laughs> I'm terrible. See, that's so funny because like I bought a load of bags and all this kind of stuff, like paper bags. And then what, what's the first thing that happens? Someone buys two wooden pieces and they're too damn heavy oh. for the paper bag. And you're like, like they can carry them, but it's going to break the bag. So you're then having to double bag it. And you're like, well, this is just... There is no end to how stupid this is, like how how far you have to take yeah. it. Yeah, I can add to that. What I did, it's sort of for the same problem because steel is heavy and it got sharp edges. Buying cheap paper bags would not work at all. I'd never even tried it. <laughs> so I immediately yeah. went to the luxury handbag or gift bag section. And I bought like big, uh, sturdy ones, like they are thick, mm. they are solid, they got like rope handles that you've noticed. Yeah, yeah. And when I give those to people, often enough people will say, wow, that's a nice bag. Yeah. And yeah. I like that. And granted, yeah, they cost five times as much as the normal bags, but they don't break. 
and people notice them yeah. and they probably will keep them because they're so nice. Problem is, I haven't took this, taken the step to buy a thousand of them and have my logo on them. Yeah. yeah. I did buy a stamp so I could like individually stamp my bags, but I didn't think I did it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's also a thing I, I should be doing because I have some and sort of like co- sort of currently combat- battling sort of the whole notion of should I just get some kind of stencil made and spray paint it or something because if it's me and it looks a bit rough that Mm. works but yeah it's a thing i think uh this is a whole subject in its own right is 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 gift wrapping and that that final thing so oh yeah (laughs) yeah we got into a little into the weeds we will definitely cover that in a future in a future episode but just just so we're on the when question, just bringing it back to that. So just a few things on that. So that we've, we've covered like seasonal stuff. Mm. It's really important that and it doesn't matter whether you've got one person following you on whatever social media or however you communicate with people or you've got a million. You need to tell people if you're going to physically be somewhere, what date it is, what time it is. And you need to tell them several times because you won't reach everyone in one hit. You need to drip feed that. You need to talk about, hey, I'm going to be, you know, I mean, for instance, I've just updated my website today. There's a couple of events coming up. One's at the end of September and a Christmas one in November. So I've put them on my website. I've not told anyone about them yet, but if anyone happens to look, it's already updated on the website. And then the next stage would be in a week or two, I'll announce the next one. Oh, I'm going to be at this three-day event at the end of September and it's at this date and here's a link to it. You should come along. It's going to be really good fun. And then just that kind of drip feed up to it. And then the setup of of the morning of just reminding people, hey, it's here now. We're here for three days. Come on down, blah, blah, blah. All that kind of stuff. Make sure if you're doing that, you're not just talking about what you're doing. You need to sell the whole event. Mm. and Or I feel you do. Because if you make it do a good job repetitively selling the whole event, if you're lucky, the guys organizing that or someone to do with that will notice that you're really good at doing that and really reliable at doing that. So if you then apply again next year, it might be a more persuasive argument for them to have you back again if you're applying for one of those markets where it's very competitive. But also once the date's over, thank everyone. Thank everyone who attended, even if you only sold one thing or you sold nothing at all, but you spoke to loads of people still thank everyone for coming along and having a conversation and for those of you who purchased something. Okay, this isn't lying. It's selling yourself as a personality, as Raz was saying earlier. It's selling you and the brands that you're creating and you're representing your business. It's showing everyone they're going, hey, you know what? Maybe it wasn't as successful as I wanted it to be, but we all had fun, didn't we? Why didn't you come along to the next event? And it's, it's trying to help create that atmosphere no one is going to come to your stand if you're sat there grumpy texting or flicking through social media on your phone curled up wishing you weren't there don't be a ben sorry (laughs) don't be Mm. a ben (laughs) (laughs) don't be a ben okay that's another t-shirt with an image right there there a a grumpy faced husband (laughs) yeah Grumpy face person who doesn't want to be there. Yeah, or, or yeah, or wife or whatever the case he may be. He can't help it, it's his face. <laughs> it's a good job you love yes. him anyway. So yeah, there's there's that there's that whole element. And also if you if you have had a really good market, there may also be almost like those sale items you mentioned earlier, Heidi. You know, if you feel inclined to go, hey, do you know what? I've got five of this thing left that I made for this specific event. I can take a hit on those and shift them on and sell them, you know. Instagram exclusive, like 
package it a bit differently kind of make people feel like hey i can only get this through them because i follow them and i and i've made that effort um it's really you know it's a good good little thing to do and uh, helps keep the support going to build on that dan um one thing i like to do when i'm at the market like we talked about the lead up to the market but sometimes people mm. forget until the day of so i like to do mm. instagram stories and facebook stories to just like remind people hey i'm still here especially if it's something like within my region where a lot of people can just like walk to or you know it's a, it's a slight little commute that's really helped me to like get people to come that didn't maybe maybe they had intended on coming but like that wednesday post rung a bell but then they forgot yeah. about it and then you yeah. know they're just sitting out little jimmy had a football match yeah or exactly exactly you just get like this opportunity to mm. again just reiterate what's going on and if people are like hesitant because they're maybe not sure what the atmosphere is like they're getting a visual of like what the people are like that are coming to your booth they're getting a visual of like what other things are going on i'll do a lap even uh if somebody's willing to sit at my yeah. booth for a few minutes i'll just do a quick lap around the event premises and just say like hey here's what's going on this these people are here these people are here this this dj is here you know come on down have a great time Mm -hmm. um because it's not like you said you know it's not just about promoting yourself it's also about promoting the event so that if the event's successful they'll invite you back yeah um that event will grow year over year and if you're an early person in you'll get you know the prime space or you know there's there's perks to being a team player and not just looking out for number one absolutely another thing is uh I've often gotten orders from other people also selling at the market. Yeah. So it's also very handy to like, not only to walk around and get to know people so that maybe you can have them step in when you need to run to the loo or want to do that lap to see what other things are going on, that you are familiar with people, you trust them enough that they can watch your booth for five, 10, 15 minutes. But also the fact of, I actually try to make a point of buying something from someone else at the fair, at the market I'm at. Not because, not just to spend money, but because, oh, I want to support other people trying to do the same thing I'm doing. And this is a thing I want, I need, yeah. I would like, yeah. or I want to gift it to someone special. Yeah. It's it's very important, actually, Raz, that I was, I was going to follow on from Heidi, and I forgot to mention earlier, it's so important. Not go out of your way to make friends with people, but certainly communicate with other market traders around you because, you, you know, you're going to be there for a while. Mm. Um, and particularly if the weather's not great, it's not about so you've got someone to whinge to. It's about going, hey, do you know what? It's not going so well, but that's fine. Exactly. Are you going to this other thing on such and such a date? And it might well be they're not, but they know of another market that might be good for you. Or like you said, Raz, it might be, hey, you do something that would go quite well with my stuff. Maybe we can collaborate with something. There's a guy at one of the markets I used to go to. He only came to the Christmas market. And he would rock up in an old van. And in fact, that's that's not true. He would come to the summer market and the Christmas market. And in the summer, he sold ice cream. And in winter, he sold mold wine and mold cider. Oh, yeah. And he, he just he just had a van that, you know, he drove up and the, the side flapped down. I didn't know until the third time that I'd gone to his van that he gave discount to other traders. Mm. And he didn't know I was a trader until I'd gone to him the third time. He was like, Hang on, you've been the previous two times. I was like, yeah. It was like, okay, you were, you were, you got a stall here. It's oh yeah, I'm just over there. I do that sort of things. Oh, you should have said before. You get, you get like fifteen yeah. percent off everything that I do. So because and and he had no idea who I was, mm-hmm. but 
it was that specific thing of, hey, we're all in this together and I wanted to give back a little bit and I've got the margin, so he gives 15%. The best bit of that was he was there, he said, oh, the mold cider's not quite ready yet. And he said, uh, which one's your booth? I said, oh, that one over there. He said, that's fine. He said, just leave the cash. I'll bring it over to you when it's ready. Nice. And he literally came and hand-delivered me some mold cider in front of a customer who then immediately was like, where is that from? Mm-hmm. And, you know, and everything comes together and, and it helps increase sales and that kind of stuff. So it's not just about, oh, you might be able to get some discount off people or anything like that, but certainly going around and and particularly if you like what people are doing, chat to them, find out what their social media handles are, talk about it in your stories or, or whatever, because there's no, nothing wrong with helping promote other people who then hopefully will do the same to you in turn. Because if their audience is similar to yours, you can help each other grow and that's only a good thing you know sort of the whole um tide rising all ships kind of uh, idea that kind of stuff okay so i think we're on to where aren't we where are you selling it we've already sort of said about telling people more than once you need to make it really clear where things are happening i'm going to step in with an analogy to begin with so in my day job um someone's recently taken over the marketing for us and they've been doing a really good job talking about upcoming events and upcoming courses and all that kind of stuff all of the all of the posts are really well done the graphics are great the description of the course is fantastic this week we had someone message and say this is really frustrating i have seen six of these now and at no point do you tell us where this event is happening or where any of these events are happening okay so it's being posted on the facebook page and instagram page of the of the business which does have an address but nowhere on the marketing did it say this is in this part of it it didn't even say it was in england okay and when you've got to remember that social media has a global reach and yeah okay this guy's followed a specific company or maybe he's just seen a link through something else or he's been tagged in it by a friend you need to be really really obvious it sounds stupid but think to yourself all right well i know where it is that's fine but people who are looking at your stuff don't necessarily know that so give exact locations give exact times give you know all of that kind of stuff particularly other things that you would want to know is there free parking are dogs allowed all of that kind of stuff don't like overwhelm your your post if that's what you know you're doing but but put it in the description below like throw all that information in there it's really, really handy for you to do that. I have a personal gripe with also people who host markets. <laughs> because it, it might just be a thing in Norway, but in all the information that I find about a lot of the markets here, it's very seldom do they specifically say what the address of the market is. Yeah. That might be a Norway thing, but that's something that's super annoying because also for me, going for the first time to a market as a seller is like, how the hell do I find my way there? <laughs> where do where do I want to show up? Where's the back entrance for my and where can I get my car in and all of those things? Like sometimes that's super difficult for the host yeah. to tell people for some reason. I think that's quite ironic given that Norway, I would imagine, is the one where it needs to be more important to tell people exactly where it is because it's like you, it's some <laughs> random field off yeah. a track somewhere. We're all going to meet hopefully. Whereas I would imagine, I don't know for sure for Heidi, but certainly for me, it's like, oh, the market's happening in this town and you know yeah. it's happening on this street or in this square or whatever it is. And 
they, they normally will be some level of, hey, turn up roughly this time and park here, or most importantly, they bang on about making sure you've got copies of your insurance available to be looked at. If I may digress slightly, the weirdest market I ever attended was at an old iron foundry. 15 minutes walk into the forest. Oh, okay. And you're supposed to yeah. bring all of your gear a 15 minute walk into the forest? I didn't bring everything. <laughs> <laughs> and we, uh, they had like ATVs available to haul stuff for people who had like heavy things who couldn't carry them. Oh, that's good. That was a really cool atmosphere, really fantastic space. I only went once because I moved away from that area. It was a long time ago. Don't make any jokes. <laughs> uh, and yeah, that was just really, really fun and cool place because like it was in this valley secluded from everything. It used to be a massive iron foundry. It had like 200 people living at it, plus wives and kids and all of it. It was, yeah. and Oh, so like a commune kind of thing? No, it more like, uh, <laughs> oh, more like okay. a company. Like a company town. Town? Right? Okay. Yeah, yeah. I think that makes more sense. Oh, right. Yeah, built around the foundry and everyone. Yeah, yeah basically. Okay. Uh, and also this place closed down after Napoleonic War. So it's been out of commission for a little while. Nice. Sorry, that was my, my, my tangent. That's right. No, that's fine. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was a nice little anecdote. Um, I think, you know, I mean, unless you've got anything to add to that, Heidi, I think that pretty much covers the, the point of you really need to make sure people know how to get to you. And where, Well, even in fact, actually, Rasmus, you went to that really large market earlier this year. And I don't know if you've done a similar size one, Heidi, but hey, if there's a booth number, tell people like yeah you can do a little story of you walking from the entrance to your booth you can you know it might even be a case of if it's a an event large enough and it's outdoors you can put up a pennant or a flag or some form of identifier kind of thing depends whether you want to be one of those people depending on the type of event you're going to but that's really useful as well so the final question then is how so how are you selling things, whether it's it's an experience or a physical or digital product and you're, you know, you're bringing it to market? Is Are you bringing it to a physical market that we've been talking about or are you bringing it to a website? Are you using your own website? Are you using a third party website such as Etsy or Folksy or New Monday or various other ones that you might have in your specific countries? Or are you just going to try and sell on social media? Whatever it is you need to do. I would strongly suggest that you do a lot of research before you start paying for whatever it is that you want to do. I mean, we're focusing on physical markets here and getting prepped for that kind of thing. Um, I have a website. I paid for a website. I was getting frustrated building the content on my own. So I thought, oh, I'll go on Etsy instead, signed up to Etsy, and then very quickly realized it was doing exactly the same thing as I was doing on my own website that were frustrating me. So... It's well worth doing research to work out where you're going to start selling your things and don't try to go everywhere all at once. Sort of, well, that's my cautious approach anyway. I, I would always say get comfortable doing one thing and being sure of what it is you're selling first and then gradually expand from there. Um, would you agree, Heidi, or am I being, <laughs> I'm being overly cautious as I normally am? Well, I mean, I think for a lot of people it's trial and error, like, uh, I I tried Etsy for a period of time when Etsy was like really small and it was really mm. like this niche, everything's handmade and you knew that it wasn't like mass produced in a child's sweatshop or something, you know, like there were a yeah. lot more rules around it. Hang on, I've seen Carver doing some of your pottery. Don't don't start saying Oh, yes, that. yes, my child's sweatshop <laughs> of him like making cookie cutter stuff. Yes, yes, he's only abused a little bit. <laughs> I kid, I kid, I kid. Please no CYS calls. 
Um, (laughs) uh, Where was I? Oh, one of the big learnings that I had pretty early on with the pottery business is that it's a pain in the butt to figure out what inventory you have left after a physical show (laughs) and then make sure that your inventory matches what's on your website. So one thing Mm. that has helped me tremendously is using a service that tracks my inventory both physically when I'm at a market and also um, when I'm selling on my website and something that I can turn off my website sales while I'm at a market. So like people aren't placing orders, Mm. taking away from the stock that I accidentally sold at the same time to someone in person. Um, So I use Square as my business model for online sales. I think the device isn't free anymore. It used to be you could get a card Mm. swipe device for free, but now a lot of credit card vendors don't allow you to use the swipe anymore. You have to use the little reader. So they have a device that you can plug into your phone or you can have separate. I use that. They, it uses the touch. It uses the, you know, card reader and it also has a swipe if the, if the card's not working or I can even plug the numbers into the phone if, if their card just isn't reading or if I don't have very good bandwidth. That's the biggest improvement in my business for me because I am selling wholesale, I'm selling on my website, I'm selling in person, I'm having people s- just swing by my house. It, <laughs> it lets you post your photos. So it's uh, the website's called Weebly and I paid for a domain through Google Domains. So I have my Whitehall Pottery domain and that's what takes me to my Weebly space. It allows you to set up like all the things a normal website would. It lets you um, put your bio on there. It lets you put your um, social media stuff on there. So like my Instagram automatically populates to my website. My YouTube channel automatically populates Mm -hmm. there. So like it's a one-stop shop for all of that. But it also has my e-commerce market. And within that, I also pay a little additional to be able to do my shipping through there, which has really helped. Yeah. Because what I was doing initially was someone would buy from my shop. I was too cheap to pay for the extra add-on package. (laughs) I would then transpose their information into a different website to order the shipping label. And then it was just causing additional work, right? And at the end of the day, if you're not Mm -hmm. making the thing that you sell, then you're not using your time wisely enough. And so Mm. what I realized was like that little extra money that it costs per month to like have that added package in there actually saved me a heck of a lot of time of transposing. I get a lot of repeat customers, so they're automatically in there for me to like send a Mm. physical flyer to because you can still do that, folks. This day and age, you can still send yeah. people snail mail yeah. uh, if you if you want to alert yeah. them for things. Um, but also that whole system sets up an email database for me that I own, that Etsy doesn't own, that some e-commerce site doesn't own. I own my email list. So if I want to send an email blast newsletter talking about, I have, like Dan was saying, I have this event coming up in six months. I have this event tomorrow. I have this, I'm doing a store update, you know, or, or just like giving little updates. Like my studio uh, was, was the last update that I put in. All of those, having all of that consolidated to one place, 
even if you have to pay a little bit more because you're you're paying for for that service really is worth it in the long run and hmm. i i can't emphasize more how important it is to know how much you have like how much material you have of different products so you're not either over making something that you don't need for your market or forgetting that you even had a product because you hadn't made it in a while. It's such a nice thing to have that ability to to just quickly go to a website, see the images of all your work. You can also download that information if again, if you're reaching out to a market or you're reaching out to for a wholesale opportunity or for a brick and mortar opportunity, you've already got all of those assets at your fingertips. So I can't tell you how beneficial that was for me and my business. And I really, really, really wish I would have done it sooner. I really wish I would have done it sooner. <laughs> You're already making me scream inside because it's something I don't have. And uh, there is there are literally at least three companies I can think of where if I could just pull that data out to make a quick catalog of, hey, you're getting prepped for making Christmas hampers. And you've, you know, at least one guy last Christmas specifically came and spoke to me and said, I'm based locally here. Would you do stuff for Christmas hampers? Yeah, sure. When do you want to chat? Next summer would be great. I haven't done it because I haven't taken the time to create that just like A5 size flyer of here's a picture of products, here's wholesale price, here's minimum buy-in. Would any of these be suitable for your whatever it is? Yes, no. Or is there another product that you'd like me to, to discuss and have a look at with you? It's money I am leaving on the table, potentially, because I've not put the time in and I've not put the time in because it's not really something I enjoy doing. But if I had that option that you're talking about there, Heidi, and I could literally just kind of go, let's export some of this data, delete that, change that, bang, bang, done. It would be stupid of me not to utilize that. So, yes, I think I may have to um, reanalyze again what exactly I am looking at on my website and how I'm getting the data to and from. And as a personal side, before we go to you, Raz, on this, I cannot make it clearer how important it is when you decide, if you decide to go with having a website and a linked email address to make sure that you register those domains with whichever web provider you're going to. If you're if you're using Weebly or if you're using Squarespace or something else like that, the amount of issues I have had for having for paying for cheaper domain registration and email registration with something else and then trying to move it across. I currently can't send any emails from my registered email address because there's a DNS issue because I've closed it at one point and they've not sent a code and mm. blah, 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 blah. So I've, I've got a wholesaler who's emailed me wanting confirmation of prices before he places an order and I can't send him a reply from that email address. So I'm luckily I've got his phone number and I can ring him. But if I didn't have that, I'd be sat here work trying you know there'd be a it would be a, not a massive issue i could just email him from another email address but it doesn't look professional and it's that whole thing of clear any potential errors from the first point if you're not sure on how to do any of these things find a friend who's done it before or speak to someone maybe in your workplace or your partner or colleague's workplace who has possibly played around with this kind of thing so many people have made websites in their spare time now that it's difficult to not find someone who can help you for free or maybe giving them one of the items that you make in exchange or something like that sorry off on a tangent there uh, rasmus did you have something that you specifically wanted to mention on that that i've probably distracted you from now uh Yes and no. I, th I think Heidi basically covered most of it, that 
if you're going for a website, look at what additional options you can get from that website to make organizing and shipping and dealing with orders easier for you. And also, it's there's so many different platforms you can go on. And I think you should try as many as you can up until the point where you can't keep up with demand anymore. But don't do them all at once. Yeah, you can try different ways of selling via socials and Facebook Marketplace and all of that. You can try email and sending newsletters out. I think that's maybe the best one when it comes to long term, because as Heidi said, you own that email list. That is yours. Even if you get it from your customers buying through your website, like get an email list out of that. I mean, there's issues where you need to get the permissions to email them after the fact and all of those things. But if you can get an email list, I really like that option. In addition to that, like there's everything from just putting an ad in the local newspaper, especially if you're doing classes or local things. In addition to using local market groups or Facebook groups or groups specifically made for the thing you're doing. Uh, And also like going a bit, I guess, more old school to it, maybe. I mean, using Reddit could be something if there's an active Reddit group where you are at. Just to mention that as well. You're showing your age there, Raz. Going old school, you're using Reddit. (laughs) To be old old school to me is putting posters up with the little tear-off thing at the bottom of it. Almost like you've lost a cat, you know, like want, want to learn wood turning, dial this number. I mean, all of those <laughs> things could work, especially like uh, if you're catering to a people, a group of people who are not very tech savvy or much online. Yeah. Whether that is demo- demographically or because of where they live or grow up, where service might be bad. It's like all mm. of these things are things you can do. Not to mention just ask if you can put a, po- a poster up in a coffee shop yeah. or at the grocery store or something. Yeah, so the, the main thing that I would, I'm going to say use the word caution, by all means you want to tell as many people about what you're doing as much as possible. So people only know what you're doing if you tell them. People only listen if they're interested. So in, in example here, Raz, let's say that as a blacksmith you only made knives, so you were more of a bladesmith, and you went round and asked if you could put posters up in the local knitting shop, the likelihood of you getting many orders as a result of that poster are not as high Mm. as if you went to, for instance, the butcher shop, which I know is a completely ridiculous analogy, but it's, you know, that you can kind of see where I'm getting at. That's not to say, you know, if if you're in a small village and you're starting a small thing, then by all means tell everyone in the village and get all that kind of thing. But... If you've got, you know, if we go back to that initial thing of how much time do you have, make sure you're spending your time wisely to start with Mm. and try and build your audience in the places which are most likely to generate a return and then expand from there. So, for instance, I would recommend going, and it sounds older school now, but I'd recommend going to like a Facebook group and putting posts in there if if it's permissible what I wouldn't recommend, for instance, in, in my example, if I'm a woodturner, I am least likely to get a response and get a sale if I'm going to post to woodforwoodturners.co.uk Facebook group about, hey, do you want to come and learn woodturning? Mm. Or do you want to come and buy my bowl I've made? That's not really the right group. However, if you went to the local village or the local town group of not buy and sell necessarily, but there's normally a buy and sell group and just put something in there that was permissible. 
you're much more likely to see a return because it's a wider group of people who possibly haven't ever seen the kind of thing that you are creating. So just to wrap this up, just to reiterate, people only know what you're doing if you tell them. People only listen if they're interested. Find your demographic of people. Talk to them using every method that you feel comfortable using within your time scale, within your personal abilities. Okay, so assignment for this week, uh, if you choose to accept it. <laughs> Got a kind of a broken down of three here. Uh, no stunts required. The first one is, as I was just sort of hinting at, try joining one local Facebook group that will let you post about your product and invite people just to look at it and comment on it. You don't have to ask them to buy anything. If they do, fantastic. You've got to bear in mind that you are opening up the potential conversation for negativity because people will hide behind their keyboard. But just be prepared for that. And sometimes that criticism can be constructive. So just, just bear it in mind on that one there. The second one is schedule three social media posts about an upcoming event or product launch if you have either of those ready. Get in the habit of doing this kind of thing, pre-planning what's going to come out. And the final one would be to reach out to a physical shop or local market organiser about your products and ask if they would be interested in what you sell or if it's relative. If you are going to do a physical meeting in a shop and you're potentially thinking about doing wholesale, I personally would recommend as, as a retail worker that you book a meeting and so that you can then go and do this in person and that you feel comfortable doing this and that, you know, it doesn't have to be this formalized thing. You don't have to dress up. You don't have to like bring in loads of stock or anything like that. Just book an initial meeting. At the very least, have some like pictures of your phone of what you're doing, but preferably some examples of what it is that you do. And just have that initial conversation with them and say, hey, look, you know, I just wanted to know I'm I'm a local craftsperson. I make this. I think it would tie in well with your shop. Would you be interested? Do you know the worst thing that anyone can say in that situation is? No. And you're no worse off than you were before you walked through the door. Because if you don't walk through the door, then you've definitely got a no. If you do walk through the door, you've got a possible yes. Mm. Remember that every time you have a conversation with anyone, if you don't do it, it's definitely a no. That can feel safe. That can feel comfortable. I accept that. That's a barrier we all have to work on, myself in particular, to remove, to, to push us to go forwards. Okay, guys. Um, final wrap up then with the... Uh, the usual question, what one thing have you done this week to further your own businesses? And we'll go with Rasmus first. I have set up a small shop corner in my workshop. Okay. Just because that's fun to say. Tiny um, shop. I, have, <laughs> I now have a workshop that is in a new neighborhood with a lot of local people that, and it's all more like a tight knit neighborhood kind of thing. So people stopping by is more likely now than when it was in the old shop. In addition to that... It's also not shared space, though, is it? Yes, exactly. And also, I have uh, classes for people. I don't want to be the person who is pushing my goods on people when I'm selling, but I also want to show people and inspire people to what they can learn to make. And even better is if I can show them something cool and they go like, you just taught me how to make all these other things. Now I want to buy this because I like it and because I like you. And then if they want to take that home and learn from it and try to make themselves, even better. But it's the combination of, I want customers to be able to come in and look at something while I'm working and finishing whatever I'm doing before I can talk to them, whether that's scheduled or drop-in or whatever. And also for people who are coming for classes that I would like to sell to you, but that's not the point of you being here. Cool. 
I love the fact that the uh, the main thing that's pushed you forward isn't that you've moved into a massive shop that's all your own, but the fact that you've set up a little corner of that shop to be the selling point that's kind of in the background. Yeah. <laughs> also, I mean, hopefully it can work as some photo backdrop in the end and all of that. So Yeah, yeah, yeah. Heidi, what about you? Well, uh, this week I reached out to a friend of mine who's been really keen on learning how to do pottery, and we are in talks for her to come help me um, with the big Christmas push, which means that I'll have an extra set of hands to help me do glazing and maybe eventually train her on how to throw my pieces so that I can get more out the door uh, to the people that want it faster and not you know, lose my head in the middle of, <laughs> of a crazy busy season. So I'm really excited for that. Um, it's it's one of those things like as you grow in your experience, mm. you are going to need to think about those things. Like what parts of your process are you willing to offset to someone else so that you can do the mm. part that you love the most? Yeah. And, you know, it's been a long time coming. I've been like really dragging my feet over it. But the last couple of weeks have really taught me that like I, I need to pay closer attention to my own personal health <laughs> and um, time. And if I want to continue with the model that I'm doing, I really need to um, open it up for someone to help me. And I think one of the biggest things was finding somebody that was like-minded that I enjoy spending time with and someone mm. that was yeah. willing to be just as passionate about what I'm doing as me. And you don't always find that. Uh, and that's probably why it's taking me so long, but, um, I'll, I'll share more as the yeah. time comes. She's, she's currently out of state at the moment. So when she gets back, we're going to work out something for her to apprentice, I guess. I guess it's an apprenticeship, right? Cool. <laughs> yeah, it is. And it sounds like it could be a whole conversation in a, a couple of months time or maybe yeah. after Christmas or something. I've got an apprentice. Does that make me a master? <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> Do journeymen get apprentices? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. I mean, technically, you I, can make it whatever I, you want I just it to want be, help. can't you? <laughs> <laughs> as long as you don't start calling it Igor, it will be alright. <laughs> yes, yes. Her name's not Igor. <laughs> She's much cuter. <laughs> so, an Igorina? No. <laughs> yeah. Well, according to Terry Pratchett, they were always yeah. stunning. Um, <laughs> as we digress how about you dad so my my one thing actually ironically enough was stealing a little bit from that almost Heidi so my wife said to the, me the other day that because of the way our work schedules work and everything uh, we don't always get as much time to spend with each other as we would like but I've also got a lot of markets and commitments coming up that require me to make a lot of things soon so she actually said hey look I know you want a workshop day on Sunday but can I come and make some stuff in there with you mm which if any of you have had the same experience with your partners who are a little bit creative, but not necessarily in the same medium as you, can fill you both with a, a bit of joy and concern at the same time, uh, particularly <laughs> if you're dealing with machines that can cut you open or abrade skin and all that kind of stuff. So what we actually did was we designed a brand new product rather, rather than working on any of the ones that I've already <laughs> got and making more stock of those. Uh, but we made some spatulas. Oh. So I'd been looking for a product that I could sell for sub £20 mm. and wasn't just round, really. And I'd been kind of umming and ahhing about this sort of thing for a little while. And so I, I grabbed a piece of offcut from a larger piece of timber that I'd been, you know, you, you hoard. And um, we made a batch of eight spatulas and we took it literally from concept 
to eight finished products in about two and a half hours. Wow, that's um, pretty good. So that was really cool. And uh, I also gave me a perfect excuse for using my new sanding machine, which turned out really well. And um, yeah, so there's no pictures up on the site or anything yet because I haven't haven't taken them to their pretty place to get them all sort of nicely done and I haven't announced them on social media. I might have done by the time this episode comes out. But yeah, so uh, they'll be nice. I should be able to retail those at about £15 each. So for a handmade spatula, that's not bad. Again, comparing that to uh, other people online, they're, they're depending on the size of it, between 20 and 25. So it's still handmade. It's got its kind of unique look to it to me and uh, go from there. So yeah, but uh, certainly moving forward was the fact it's, it's a new product out, but also spending some time with someone else in the shop and helping them develop skills to help you move things forward, which is very similar to what you were talking about, Heidi. Being able to let go and not hover and look over the shoulder is uh, certainly a skill set that has to be learnt. But no, Janie was very good. Um, she was uh, exceptionally good with the spoke shave and shaping the handles and stuff. So uh, we got into quite a nice little rhythm and it worked well. Okay, guys, is there anything else that anyone wants to cover very briefly before we sign off for this week? No. That's, yeah. I think we're good. Lovely. Well, as always, guys, if you want to speak to us collectively, we are at uh, settingupshop.com. That's shop, S-H-O-P-P-E, um, or info at settingupshop.com. If you want to speak to any of us individually, you can find Heidi at Whitehall Pottery on pretty much everywhere. Uh, you can find Rasmus in all of his Norwegian <laughs> places, which is uh, Rasmus Lowen, Lowen spelt L-O-E-N, on uh, any of his social media and uh, lowensmed.no. Yeah. And uh, you can find me at Bevel or Bevelwood UK. At Bevelwood UK is the Instagram one and then uh, bevelwood.co.uk is the website, etc. So hopefully everyone's found something useful from that and uh, you'll listen to us all again next week. We always want to hear comments, thoughts, likes, share, subscribe, all of that kind of good stuff wherever it is you're listening or watching us to. Until next time, thank you very much. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Bye.